Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 6, Episode 10 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on May 29th, 2023. And today, we're deviating from what we said we would, because we talked about we were going to do tea on this episode. We were specifically saving this one to do tea, and then we had to change plans. And when we changed plans, I hadn't made the... um, cold brew yet for the tea so we didn't have enough done so we're going to do that for the first episode when we come back from our break Uh, during the break though we're going to be doing some self Uh, we're going to some other industry conference stuff and um, you know maybe a little bit more brewing so we'll see but this time what we're going to be doing is looking at the fig wine that we made last year Uh, I think we started it somewhere around August June July August, somewhere around in there. And we bottled it in November of 2022. And it sat there waiting on the shelf for someone to drink it for like roughly the last six, six months. Mm -hmm. And we've had a couple of bottles of this. It was pretty good when it was young. It was a little harsh, but it was pretty good. So it's 15% ABV. And uh, I think we used... um, do we use any honey in this? I think we did. Yeah, so I yeah. think it's, if I remember correctly, it was honey, and then we had a fig jam and a fig um Yeah, we had a bunch of fig products, and yes. we actually we had whole figs, too. Yep. And then we put pomegranate juice in it. Yes, so it's yep. like a pomegranate fig wine drink. Yeah, and mm. I mean, the six-month aging has really helped it. Um, not that it was bad originally, but it's much smoother now. Yeah. It's, a lot of the sweetness has come out of it. And it's a lot now closer to like eating a fig. It is like some or like some sort of like dark currant because you know it does have the like um, pomegranate in it, so it's not pure like fig flavor. Right. But it's a lot closer to that like I am drinking a an alcoholic fruit juice as opposed to something else. And if I remember correctly, this is dry. It's like one point oh one or something like that. It's not. It tastes so sweet for something that's not sweet at all. You know, yeah, it it was yeah. I think it was like a semi sweet. Like it hadn't gone all the way dry, but it got pretty close. It was like just over that line. But yeah, you're right. And you know, I think a lot of that has to do with just how much of the fruit flavor is still there, because it very much does still taste like fruit. Right. It, it tastes like a mix of fig and pomegranate. You know. Well, I'm gonna look on the brew sheet while you're still talking, mm-hmm. and because I know that I put this thing on there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it looks really well. It's a really nice color. It's not the clearest, but in all honesty, considering how dark the various things we were putting in it were, and, you know, all of those fig byproducts were cooked, so, like, we took a lot of the pectins and upped their concentration by removing water and stuff like that. So, you know, overall, it's good, though. I know we wanted to try this one because we're thinking about taking it to self to share it with people, and you yep. only had one bottle left, but uh, I had a couple, so this is one of my I bottles. I have two left also. Okay, then perfect. Then, yeah, we definitely should. I think people would like this. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they will. Let's look on the stats on this thing, though, if it'll mm-hmm. ever, ever load. <laughs> I, I clicked on it. It says that it's going to load. There it goes. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We're looking for 2022. Man, I've got stuff all the way back to 2018 recipes on this sheet. Yep, there you go. Just didn't realize. Okay, so Eventide Fig Wine. We started it on August 13th, mm-hmm. and it finished 
at um, 1.032. That was after we had added some more uh, sweetener to it. Okay. So yeah, yeah. it was back sweetened. Uh, and it is, it, it tastes about as sweet as it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I knew it was a little bit a little bit sweeter than that, but what it's not crazy. Like it's not a dessert wine. It's not like that one point oh five or anything like that. No, it's it's actually pretty okay for the um, amount of sweetness that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean we've talked about the recipe on it before, but we definitely should uh, give any of our like uh, eventually we should probably let some people have access to our recipes. <laughs> That's true. Um, but if you get if you have turkey figs which i think is what these are right if you have turkey figs and a little bit of orange blossom honey and some pomegranate juice it makes a pretty doggone tasty wine it like does. a country fruit wine yeah i'm hoping to get a better yield this year because i've been I, we didn't know what the tree was at first mm-hmm. um, or like when it would bloom and for like the longest time we thought what were the beginnings of a budding fruit were a flower about to come out so by the time we figured out it was a fruit, um, it was already like r- time yeah. to really start harvesting them. So we didn't really do any like before care. But I know better this year. So I've been now that they're starting to bloom, I'm watering it a lot to give it the, you know, the moisture it needs to plump up those fruits. So instead of a bajillion little tiny fruits, maybe we'll get like a bunch of big ones. Yeah. Um, so speaking about that, uh, wife and I went to. A place in Raleigh is one of the parks and rec places mm-hmm. and they were having some classes about how to like grow vegetables and fruits and things like that it was pretty eye-opening some of the things that we were doing wrong some of the things that we're you know doing right um, mm-hmm. but they were talking about how to like water your plants and things like that it might be something that you're interested in going to the next time we go to it it was like 10 bucks to go oh yeah it was super yeah. cheap it was real and they're doing it all through the the um, summer. So okay, yeah, that might be, be an interesting class with him. Yeah, I think you'd like it. Yeah, because I'm thinking about planting a bunch of fruit bushes because mm-hmm. we're going to kind of, now that we've tore up that tree and we've got all this light in the front, I want to put up like blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Mm-hmm. Well, they talk about that. They talk about like growing in grow bags and growing in above ground planters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's pretty good. Um, all right. I just bopped the... Uh, the little cable that I have connecting me to the mic. Whoops. Anyways, let's talk about home server tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so specifically, let's talk about NASs because NAS is kind of the um, kind of thing that someone would buy off the shelf or make, and that's the primary thing that most people are going to use a server for in their home. May also have a media server, so either like file storage or media mm-hmm. storage backups, things like that, and a network-attached storage device is going to be able to do all those things, generally. There are some times that, depending on how powerful a network-attached storage device is, they don't really do that well with those things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one thing that, uh, you know, I, I think is like an important kind of thing to think about is what are your use cases for whatever you're getting a server for. Um, so, like, are, are you expecting it to do, like, transcoding and, like, be able to, like, um, it, to have super expandable storage, have, like, over 100 terabytes of space on it or something like that? I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of just depends on what it is that you're seeking. Um, and then the other thing is, um, 
like are you going to be running a home lab off of it are you running like any like containers or you know docker or anything like that off of it so you don't really have a server at home do you not really not something that i would consider at the same level as something like a nas like i've got servers that run on my computers but they're not like a separate device Right, they're functional servers. They're services that you're providing for something, but yeah, not yeah. not a. They're logical like, servers. They're right. not, you know, like a physical server. Right. So I have two that I've set up here in my house. Um, one runs FreeNAS, and it's a FreeNAS Mini. And then I have a second server that I've had running for a while that's used Enterprise Gear. It's a Super Micro. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them no longer runs a Plex server. Uh, it always struggled a bit to run one, but um, that was my FreeNAS Mini. And then I had a, I have a Xeon that's probably like 12 years old at this point that seems to be chugging along just fine. If I wanted to throw a, a graphics card or something like that in there, that would probably work. And it would do just fine, especially if I was doing something like... Um, an NVIDIA or AMD card that's like good at transcoding or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't I don't have too many files that are transcoded, but if I ever needed it, I have that availability. I think the the thing that made me think about this topic though is I was running out of space on my storage server, and this other server that I've got that's hobbled together is just kind of a JBOD. I didn't put like a specific server operating system on it. It just is running like a version of Ubuntu. And so I've got FreeNAS on one, or TrueNAS now. It's not FreeNAS mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, back when I bought it, it was still FreeNAS. Uh, but I've got TrueNAS on one, and that's got about uh, 30 terabytes of space on it, which is a good amount. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you have a large media library or you want to try to hold on to a lot of backups or you do things like we do where we record stuff and then we have to mm-hmm. back it up, you can fill up that space fairly quickly. Um, so then I got this other thing and I started expanding it with just like JBOD little devices that connect up via USB. Uh, they can also connect via eSATA, but I don't have eSATA ports on the Super Micro server. So all that said is to say performance was okay for a long time, but it's gotten to the point to where I felt like I needed better and more stable performance, and I needed something that actually backed up the free NAS. Mm -hmm. Come in a Synology NAS that I've got that's got about the same level of chip that the true NAS has in it. It's just the true NAS is maybe five, six years older. Um, So this one does a little bit better at things like Intel QuickSync and stuff like that. Uh, It seems to run anything 1080p, you know, uh, 720p just fine. Um, Because I've got a Plex Media server, of course, running off of it now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the the thing that I found to be interesting is while I can expand, it's got five storage bays and I was able to put 12 terabytes. So I've got about... Uh, that one had 30, and it's got 8. Um, oh, no, this one has 8, too, or 6. Anyways, I ended up doubling, just about doubling my capacity. Okay. Um, but, you know, the true NAS, I think at the time, was close to $3,000 when I when I got it. I didn't pay for it. Mm. I got it through, like, a 
a work type thing, um, you know, and it's so old now, I doubt anybody wants it. So I've just been using it for stuff. But originally, I would like use it to transfer ISOs around and back up my laptop, like, you know, host things. on It's just, it does, it's not powerful enough to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's what the Super Micro took over doing. Of course, it's kind of like getting long in the tooth. So I'm not going to ask for another thing like that. I don't need those capabilities anymore. I have other things within the corporate network that can do those things. Mm -hmm. So now, or I can do them like an AWS or something like that, right? Yeah. So now, you know, how, like, what would I use these things for? And home servers are really good. Unfortunately, as good as they are at running stuff, my older servers are starting to have trouble running. So I got this one because I thought, well, this could become my primary server and then I could use the other ones just as like backup file services, right? Mm -hmm. What I found, though, is that's much more complex to do than I thought it was. Um, and, you know, when you're going across, because I'm using Synology's disk sta station software on the new one that I've gotten, the old one has problems with being able to sync stuff between that and the Synology disk station because they're two completely different types of things. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can move a few things around, make some stuff happen, do some archiving, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't really want to lose my kit. Um, but ultimately, what it comes down to is, what I found is I'm not that much more successful with the versus the super micro server it actually the super micro is still a little bit more powerful mm -hmm. than the synology nas the synology nas probably cost me about as much as it would to get like a super micro and a bunch of hard drives off of ebay okay. so you know what what is the better decision to make and of course it it comes down to what's the best for you right mm -hmm. um but one of the reasons I think you don't do things like this is you're not that interested in like the the technologies that come with it as much. You keep things a little bit simpler. Is that kind of a yeah? That's probably true. I mean, we've talked about that before. That you know, I I'm in the technology industry, but what drives me is I like helping people, mm -hmm. and it's a good industry to help people in. I'm not I'm good at technology, but I'm not, I don't have a passion for technology at the same level that you do. So yeah, I mean, I don't have a burning use case for it. So I've just never really bothered to get into it. Right. So that said, if there was something that you could just buy off the shelf, stick it in your house, and you had the capability to do some of these things, given some of the stuff that we've talked about with like media companies doing crap like they're doing, some of the need that you have to like prepare for like certs and things like that, would you buy something like that? Or would you try to cobble something together that would be less expensive? In all honesty, I'd probably just put something together. Because, you know, I, while I buy like things like my computers, I buy them from places like um, you know, Ava Direct, mm -hmm. where I'm picking every single part in it, and they're just like charging to assemble it. So, you know, I still do all the research on what the parts I want and stuff in. It just saves me the headache, and I get some warranty out of it. For something like, you know, a NAS server, I feel like I would just do the research, buy the parts, it'd be cheaper. You know, if you have the skill set to build it, it's not one of those things that you're gaining a whole lot by buying it from someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe the only thing you save is like the system installs, which frankly, considering you're going to have to use the tool so much, you should probably know how to do that anyway. 
or at least learn power how to do consumption it. can also be it's hard to get low power stuff that is cost effective that's not already built into a system okay i mean yeah that's a decent point but in all honesty at the same time i mean unless it's a huge difference it is so, so let, me, let me put it this way. Unless it's going to be a huge monetary difference it is. in how much power. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, so that, uh, so my true NAS mm-hmm. is about double the power consumption to the Synology. Yeah. The Super Micro is about three times that amount mm-hmm. every year. So we're talking about a couple thousand dollars, you know, roughly a year to run all three of them. Um, but... I think the the power consumption for the um, Synology is somewhere in the two hundred dollars with all the discs spun up and everything like that. The True NAS is like four hundred, you know, a year at our current energy costs. Yeah. And then the um, the Super Micro is more than that. My gaming computer is like on top of that more. Really? Yeah. So. Man. So like I, I've measured all of them. They mm-hmm. they all add significantly keeping each of them on. Uh, and then there's the heat that they generate, and that little Synology mm-hmm. doesn't hardly generate any heat. Now, the uh, true NAS is a close second, but the true NAS, to get the same level of like whatever, is like now $5,000 roughly. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I mean, we're talking about discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have uh, a terabyte, you know, two five five twelve gig um Intel, uh, what, what was the thing that they had? Optane uh, modules in the um, in the Synology to have that same mm-hmm. sort of thing. You know, it would cost extra, blah blah blah. So ultimately, it is cheaper to run the Synology, and it's got enough power to do a lot of things. I haven't really tested like whether or not so it'll it'll run like. Um, a media server, which you don't need a ton of stuff to run one um, anymore. Sometimes with higher, sometimes you need more computational power for like yeah. higher power stuff. Uh, it'll run most Docker containers I have running on it. So that's one thing I haven't been able to get out of the um, TrueNAS because it's not running TrueNAS scale. It's running TrueNAS core. Mm-hmm. I think one of them is based off FreeBSD. The other one's based off Linux. In okay. Linux, you get containers and containerization. With that, you don't. The Synology is a, just basically a Linux box that you're just buying. Gotcha. Um, so, does that change your answer any, or do you think that you would still just build yourself one? Yeah, I mean, it might, in all honesty. I guess it would. I'd have to price out what the difference in cost of the components versus the energy draw is. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised they take that much energy, period, because, like, my gaming rig. If I don't turn it on for the whole month, and I've done a couple times, it's only like a $10 difference in my energy bill, you know, as opposed to running it almost 24-7 when I have, like, it running a gaming server or something mm-hmm. like that. So to think that the NAS is, you know, 10 to 20 times more energy draw than that. Well, I'm talking about per year. Okay, per year. So, so but even then, still then, you know, my gaming computer, if it was on almost 24-7, would be like 120 bucks a year. So you're saying that's at least a double. Well, that. so maybe I've got the figures off a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but what I'm saying is when I measured it, my gaming computer was like four times as much in cost Okay. to, to run. The TrueNAS Mini was like two times as much 
Mm-hmm. And then the um, other thing that I've got, the Super Micro, is like three times as much. As gotcha. It. So okay. it's not as much as the – but let me also put it this way. I've got some JBODs in there. I've got other things that are consuming power. Mm-hmm. I probably have more hard drives than you have. I bet you have all SSDs. Yeah, that's right? true. That increases the cost. It's not by a lot, but mm-hmm. it does increase the cost for each one. Um, and your gaming – how many gaming computers do you have? Just the one. Just the yeah. one? I have three. Yeah, okay. Well, you're counting all three of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm counting all three of them. Okay. So it's significantly – but – this thing will run all the services that I have running on all three of my mm-hmm. larger computers. So, you know, the only thing that, like, if I want to do some light mining or something like that, it won't do it. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so I still, like, per year, it's like 400 $500 for me to run all the other things. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and I have, like, a comparable amount of services that I have left over if I just run this and it's like two hundred dollars i think i might be wrong it might be a hundred might be 120 yeah, yeah still less can you sell service the ones you buy like if a yeah. hard drive fails are you free to just go buy any hard drive or just yep. go buy their hard drive or something no i went and bought uh seagates okay they're not the hard drives they suggested i just mm-hmm. bought some um enterprise grade seagate hard drives that had been renewed quote unquote they just i think somebody used them for a little while but they all tested good they're okay. all they all their smarts are good and everything like that so uh, i'm not unhappy with those um yeah so it wasn't it's not like a terrible deal um it just i like putting things together <laughs> so yeah. it feels it feels a little little bit like i cheaped out buying it well i mean uh- you know, it, it costs whatever it costs, right? So, like, you got to price out your components versus the energy draw and all that. But your NAS is something I feel like you are going to be interfacing with a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it is very important to understand how it works and to be able to service it if it breaks. It's kind of like if you're really going to get into, like, PC gaming, you should build a PC at least once. Right. That way, even if you go buy a pre-built or something like that and something breaks, you know what to do. You know, it's just like I believe anyone that's a power user for any operating system should like go take an online class on it. Like go really learn how Windows works. Go really learn how Linux works or, you know, whatever your system of choice is. So, you know, in when you're in your position that you know a lot about it, you know, it just comes down to cost. Really. Right. What's the cheaper thing for you to do? If you're someone trying to get into it, I probably would recommend, hey, you should maybe try and build your first one just so you know actually how it operates. Yeah. And I, de- I mean, I definitely, I built my first NAS. Mm-hmm. I, I got like an old, it wasn't even an enterprise grade kit. It was like an old Celeron computer <laughs> from like the early 2000s. And I kitted it out with some extra RAM and put some hard drives in it. And it was dog slow. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. But it was um, a, it was a good experiment. I learned a whole lot. And, you know, that's why I, bought the true NAS was because I knew that it was like a a good thing to have because it mm-hmm. was very stable and stuff like that once I figured out what I was doing um, that said uh, have you been have you used any containerization in like your home lab or have you done anything like that I've done like educational projects with it I've not done anything personal so like I've gone in and built containers and put stuff up on repos and, and things like that just because it's a good skill set to have 
but I certainly don't have like any active containers running in my home. Yeah, I have probably about 30 that I run in my home. I have um, two Jellyfin servers that I run, and th this is all just for experimentation. Mm -hmm. um, two Jellyfin servers that I run. I have um, my own, um, is it called Chome? Is that what it is? Anyways, it's a it's a detector for changes on websites. Hmm. Um, so like, there's a couple of websites that I'm interested in being able to get alerts for whenever things change or they update certain things on them, like articles or um, things like prices and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So it'll send me an alert every time it does that. Um, I have uh, I'm trying to remember. Well, I have a Portainer instance which makes containerization management a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. uh, it also makes it a little bit easier to go in and spin up and spin down your containers. You don't have to do it from the command line. Even though I do suggest, like, I learned how to do everything with them from the command line, so I suggest people do that first. But once you get kind of used to it, it's a little easier to see the graphical interface of what's going on. Um, and then I have a couple of other containers that, like, they help me to organize my media files they um, run like a file browser I have one that runs a wiki page and things like that so this is like mm -hmm. documentation and stuff like that um, what I really want to get into next is building my own containers and then having a pipeline to every time I update one it goes through and updates the container automatically I have a thing called watchtower that'll do that on portainer which is really nice because I haven't had to update any of my containerized systems in forever <laughs> like mm -hmm. they're just always up to date um where i i was using ansible to update all of my linux systems but i started running into some problems when um things would like start having dependencies issues it would just yeah, hang yeah. and then i would just be stuck there and you can't like even as smart as your ansible like playbook might be it'll never be smart enough to overcome that thing hmm. so i don't know i i think i i understand that you just kind of do it for work and everything like that but i think you you're selling yourself a little bit short by like not having some of those like container things that you could just play around with like build something and just have it available because it's so easy to do yeah, I mean, it's really not hard to build a container, and I've done, like, POCs for, like, putting some of our enterprise software within containers and things like that, you know. But I think, for me, I will start getting back into those things again, because my kid's now finally about to go be in, like, public school. Right. And, like, in school all day, and then she'll come home, and, you know. Because right now, my life is, I wake up with my kid, I take care of my kid, my kid goes to school, she goes to school after I'm already supposed to be at work, because I'm immediately yep. at work. She gets back before I'm off work. So as soon as I'm off work, I'm taking care of her. And let me tell you, man, by the time it's like eight o'clock at night and she goes to bed, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, doing you don't want to do anything. I know. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll uh, I'll get there. Yeah. Well, I just the the reason I was saying that was not so much for. Like you have the knowledge of how to build them, but there's a different skill set that you use to kind of maintain them and keep them stable. Mm -hmm. That is true. And so. Um, I, I kind of took my approach of learning containerization the opposite way. I've learned how to, like, maintain and keep them stable. And, like, so, like, I kind of build my CICD backwards. I start with I want everything to be stable, not everything to be updated. Mm -hmm. And so how do I get stability first? And then I start, like, okay, well, then 
how do I make it so that I don't really have to touch this? Because my philosophy for running operations is that I should never be seen. Um, you know, nobody should ever have to interact with me if they don't need to. And if they're interacting with me, it means something went horribly wrong. And mm-hmm. that's something I'll fix and never happen again. So I work a little bit different than some of the other people that we work with do, <laughs> which I think you know that about me anyways, yeah, yeah. right? So like all of my stuff, you know, whether I'm designing a network or doing anything like that, I'm thinking about what is the most elegant way that I can create something that is super stable. That's so back to the thing that we were talking about at the beginning, the buying a NAS, that's kind of why I bought a NAS because there's a stability component there. And when my pie hole and my other things that run in my house need to be available for my family to use. And I'm Mm -hmm. about to go on like a week long trip. I don't want my wife to have to do anything more than press a button to turn it back on. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. So, um, so that that was the one thing that we left out in the other one. There is a little bit more. Now, there are plenty of admins out there who can build a server and keep it super stable. But there's something nice if you do it all day about just being able to buy something off the shelf, off the shelf, off the shelf, mm-hmm. and put it, plug it in, and just turn it on, and it works. Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah. Um, but with the container thing – there, there's a slightly different mindset to building the the software versus operationalizing it, you know. And I think if you learn how to operationalize it and what are the challenges with it first, that does really affect the way that you build things like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen that with some other people that I know that design networks and stuff like that. They'll come in, they'll do their thing. They don't care if it's stable or not afterwards. They built the thing that they were told to build, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think containers are kind of the same way, and servers are kind of the same way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. That's all the topics I had written for today. Um, it feels like anticlimactic to like end right there. Just talking about technology. We didn't talk about brewing or anything like that <laughs> for a midway season episode we talked about a homebrew that we're going to do again and i'm hoping if the yield is big enough this year uh, because we'll just have bigger fruit because even if we get the same number that um we can experiment and do like more than one batch of something that would be a lot of fun i've got some ideas and i almost feel like we could make this into like a citrus breakfast wine sort of thing Ooh, yeah yeah exactly kind of like a, a bottled mimosa kind of yeah, deal kind of deal okay and it have like a figginess to it mm-hmm. uh, we could also possibly do that with like some peach stuff yeah i wonder like a lemon um what do we call that the thing that had been skeeter pee we made it with a uh, limoncello limoncello yeah like a limoncello with fig in it uh, well that could be really good it's kind of where mm-hmm. i'm going you know right there because i need to make some more skeeter pee limoncello i don't like the name skeeter p so much yeah it doesn't sound great (laughs) it doesn't sound as appetizing um uh, well so one thing for those who are going to self we'll be at southeast linux fest Mm -hmm. this year um and uh then in during the break we've got some DD plans i know um you're going to be running a one shot that we might talk about um we've got some things where we're thinking about doing um some you know more brewing projects and we've got kind of a tech project that we've been working on and off on for a while that we might talk about after 
we actually do some coding on it. Okay. So, uh, you know what I'm talking about, yep, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we got a couple of things that we could, uh, we could be talking about and I may like, I don't know. I'm kind of getting the itch to get back into studying for the CCIE and just skip the CCNP. I'm not sure. So, mm, I don't know. I might, uh, we, we may have some talks about studying and stuff like that too coming up in the next semester. So, okay. I said semester, next next uh, half of the year. Mm. So, I'm looking forward to everything. Should be great. Uh, but I think that's everything for today's episode, unless you got something else you want to talk about. No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, this has been Season 6, Episode 10 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, this will come out on May 29th, 2023. And if we don't catch you before then, hopefully we'll catch you next time when we come back around the fall. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you later.